Good morning. This morning's reading comes from Matthew 13, verses 18 through 23. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed grown, sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the, among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning, Pleasant Street. It's a wonderful blessing to be here with you today. I'm always excited about coming out and uh, being able to worship with you and celebrate with you. There are moments, I'm going to be honest, when I just want to break out and just dance and just run up and down the aisles. I just don't want to scare anybody. But if I, <laughs> but uh, man, I, I just, uh, even the praying and the reading of the Word of God, oh my, you know, just so much emotion and uh, just so much passion. And I just gotta give my props to my boy Matthew. Dude, you and I are wearing the same pants. I don't know if, dude, was that planned or what? But uh, that was, you know, great minds think alike. And, uh, but uh, man, that, that, was, uh, that was great. And so thank you for, for the reading of God's word. Uh, just love this time of being together today. I do bid you greetings from Emmaus City Church, uh, from uh, our pastor, Pastor Michael Sullivan, and, uh, and I'm ready to just dive into God's word. And first, let's, let's begin with just a, another moment of prayer, if I may. And Lord, I just acknowledge you today, Father God. I, I do acknowledge, Lord, your, uh, your presence, oh God. I do pray, Father, that Lord, that you, O oh God, would continue to be exalted, Lord. I pray, Father, that uh, you would speak through me, God, as I, Lord, uh, deliver your word. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. Lord, so that I speak, God, what you want me to speak. I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, they would walk out, God, knowing you as their personal Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father, for this moment, Lord, of getting into your word and, and hearing, God, about you, Lord, sowing and reaping. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I remember, I remember while in college going to visit a friend who lived way up in the Blue Ridge Mountains. It was exciting, it was great being able to stay with him and his family. It was down in uh, Lynchburg in uh, Roanoke, uh, Virginia, uh, way out in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And I was just totally excited about going up and, and checking out the, the highlands 
And it wasn't long before I discovered that in their, in their, in their home, outside their home, there was this, this great orchard of different kind of fruit trees and, and plants. And it was just exciting being able to go out and, and check out these different plants and different fruits. And, and I actually started eating some of them, man, and the fruit tasted absolutely fantastic. And it was like being in the Garden of Eden. It was just so exciting. And, and, and so I did, what I decided to do is I decided uh, over this, this past summer to go over to Home Depot and purchase a fruit tree, my own apple tree, because since then, it, there's been a number of times when I myself wanted to have my own orchard, you know? And so I went to Home Depot and purchased an apple tree that was marked down. And, uh, and it, it wasn't my plan to buy an apple tree, you know, when I went to Home Depot. When I saw, man, when I saw that price, I thought, man, this is it. I'm going to buy this tree immediately. And so I brought it home and, and, and planted into the ground. It seemed like almost frantically, you know, hurried up and put it in the ground. And I was hoping that this tree would take root. And it seemed like everything was going so well as I saw what seemed to be new growth. And, and so what I did was I started counting the tree buds on the tree. And, and I was just studying the tree. And I was thinking, wow, you know, we're going to have a lot of apples this year. And so I, I went over to my wife and I exclaimed to her that we're going to have a lot of apples this year. And so fast forward, right, later on during the summer, I, I went out to the tree. And lo and behold, what I found was a tree that looked like a dead stick figure. <laughs> and my hope and my, my faith and, and this aspiration of having this great orchard, you know, went down the tubes. I was so disappointed. And I even considered pulling the tree up and just getting rid of it, you know. And I, I, the kinds of thoughts that went through my mind were, why was this tree marked down? Was this why the tree was marked down? <laughs> Or maybe I didn't dig deep enough, or, or maybe there were other trees and plants just hogging up all the nutrients, you know, or, 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 or just imagining hearing my wife say something like, and when I told her, that was like the, what, what just looked on her face was, I told you so, <laughs> right? And maybe some of you feel the same kind of frustration about your spiritual growth. Or maybe you've sown your lives or poured yourself out into the lives of your children or your neighbors or your community or someone you care deeply about. Or maybe it's your marriage and you don't see any fruit. And at this point, you're, you're frustrated, maybe frustrated with yourself and you find yourself kind of troubleshooting or trying to figure it out, or trying to, it's like trying to crack the code, right? Or, or trying to solve a puzzle, and you're left with this one simple question, you know, why? Why can't I overcome this habit? Why don't I, why don't I seem to, to get it? Or, or I hear what the preacher is saying, but it's not registering. Or I find myself walking away from the church filled with so much hope, only to find myself on Monday, fighting against the Monday blues. Okay, back to the tree. I'm thinking about that apple tree stick figure, and, I, and something in me thought, don't pull it out. 
I just felt like this impression, like it wasn't just something. It was like God wanted me to leave that tree in the ground. And I just felt this, this, this something that just resonated with me. And I thought, man, this tree is dead. But I thought I'm going to leave it in the ground, not going to pull it out. I think God might be up to something. That maybe if something is happening in the tree that I can't see or I can't understand. I know it looks like a stick figure tree right now, but maybe there is still hope. And so it was just the other day when I went out to the stick figure of a tree and noticed toward the bottom these beautiful, luscious green leaves coming out from the tree. I was just so excited, dude. It was like, I was just like, I was like, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was so glad that I wasn't so quick to pull it. And I hurried back to my wife as I was thinking that if we get apples this year, I'm going to call them resurrection apples, right? The tree that was dead is alive again. Maybe some of you are about to give up. Whether it means giving up your, of your, on yourself or giving up on someone else, you're about to throw in the towel, about to raise up the white flag, right? Don't pull that tree. Don't give up. I'm so glad that others did not give up on me. Maybe there were some points when I, when I looked hopeless. You know, like, like, like it was a lost cause, but God was working on the inside. Green shoots of life were about to spring up. And is this the same for you? How many of you are so glad that others did not give up on you? That they kept praying for you. They kept believing in you. They kept sowing sowing into you. The Bible says, I believe in Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary in doing good. You will reap a harvest if you faint not. At serve, something was happening. The Lord was moving at serve. And they have only, and we've only seen a glimpse of the power of those experiences during those days you were there in the community and, and serving and giving of your time, giving of your talents, giving of your, your treasures. You know, in the tree, nothing was going on in the branches, it seemed. Nothing was going on or growing on the limbs. The leaves were dying, and the tree was like bare. It looked like fall, and it was in the middle of summer, you know. But it was rooted. And new beautiful growth was shooting up from the roots. This was the good stuff. And in order to experience real lasting growth, we must be deeply rooted in Jesus. And the problem for many of us is that we're not deeply rooted in him, right? No, the Bible says in John chapter 15, verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. The experience of planting the resurrection apple tree reminded me of Jesus. Uh, he lived, was crucified, and was, was buried. And it, and it seemed like probably to just about everybody, this was a sure defeat. 
To the natural eye, it didn't seem like anything was happening at all during those few days after the resurrection, after the, the crucifixion. That you, it's almost like you would just go up to the tomb and had with this expectation that all you would find is dead, you know, is this body wasting away. But we know that that wasn't the end of the story, even though it felt like when Mike Tyson beat Bruno that it's over, <laughs> you know. It's over. But if they were to return, when they returned to the tomb, they found, they found that Jesus, right, the one that was crucified, the one that they made sure was dead, that he rose again, showing that he was life, that he is life. And it's the same Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13 where Jesus provides an explanation of the parable of the sower. And Jesus uh, supplies not only an explanation but reveals God's yearning for us to live fruitful lives. And I don't know if you've ever done this before, but have you ever asked yourself, if you could live in any period in history, which one would it be? And there's been a few times when I thought, man, if I could live in any period in history, I'd want to live during the medieval period, right? When there were kings and princes and princesses with long hair like Rapunzel. You know, it's like, I want to live in that period, you know? And, uh, or maybe during the times when there were uh, King, when there was King David or, or Solomon, or of course, during the time when Jesus walked the earth. But would any of us have chosen to live in a day of economic turmoil or COVID-19 pandemic or racial tension or the continual threat of radical uh, extremist terrorism, to name a, a few? And it was just the other day, I was at the, at the prison where I work as a chaplain, uh, and I was there, and I was talking with an officer, and he began to just talk about how so many people are just, are just really, we're, we're really going through it right now. People are really hurting. You know, but check this out. None of this surprises God. You were meant to be here. Yes, God could have chose you to be born in any other time period in history. But God chose you to be here right now for such a time as this. Because God wants you to bear fruit that's so desperately needed for this period in history. And I know things are tough right now, but if you're a child of God, you can confidently say that I have grace for this. I have grace for this. What God has planted in you, he wants to see grow in you. And some of us have been dealing with the continual frustration of no growth. And it's not that God isn't, isn't working. And notice in the parable, among the all different types of soil or the different types of, of ground, the soil was working in all of them. But the soil or the ground was not responding well to the sower's working. Our hearts are like soil, which can either be fertile ground for a fruitful orchard of kingdom growth or remain in a state of unfavorable conditions for, for kingdom growth. Because living for Jesus starts with the heart. And I want to share with you some truths we, can, we learn from Jesus' parable of the sower. It's like Jesus, the great soul doctor, looks at the various types of soil and provides a diagnosis. The, the diagnosis is not just a diagnosis of the soil, but it's really a diagnosis of the heart. 
When we look at the construct of Matthew chapter 13, verse 18 through 23, we see an instruction to the disciples to listen. And then a description of four different types, of four different types of ground or of soil. And when we examine further, it starts with verse 18, where Jesus uh, invites or really instructs the disciples to come to him and listen to the parable of the sower. I'm about to provide you an explanation. With, with, with the twofold or the multifold intent of you asking yourselves, which one are you? What is the condition of your heart or how might you become healthy and become a seed sower? Or maybe even furthermore, it's not just about sowing seeds, but it's about we ourselves becoming the seed that God scatters. That in the dying to ourselves, we might live more fruitful lives to the glory of God, our Father. No matter where we end up, we bloom where we're planted. In verse 19, notice where Jesus begins to talk about the seed that was sown on the path. And he expounds hearing the word, but they do not understand it. The enemy comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. When we read it again, when anyone hears the word, when we read it again, it says this about the kingdom. It doesn't suniemi in the Greek, which means to comprehend, to put together, to synthesize. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. There are times when we hear the word of God and it doesn't compute. I had this opportunity. I remember I was so excited. I had an opportunity to go to the Wicked Wings to meet with this wicked strong dude, right? And uh, to eat up some amazing wings so I could share my awesome wicked story about how God, this holy God, touched and changed a wicked person like me. And, 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 and produce something holy, my, my salvation. I was just so excited, wicked excited. And I went to Wicked Wings to tell my story. And as I was sitting there telling, I'm about to tell my story, I worked myself a bit, been praying about this opportunity to share the gospel with this wicked dude about the story of Jesus, right? And I'm, so I'm telling my story to him and I'm just going on and on. I'm telling him God touched my life and, and changed my life. And I'm, I'm just telling my host, my, just this powerful story. And he looks at me and he says, that's good for you. And I'm thinking, okay, let's just grab the menu. Let's order some wicked wings. Let's just move on. It was like there's no anointing on this at all. It wasn't computing. It wasn't registering. He didn't get it. Or maybe you've been there. Me and my family and I we went to, would go to an art museum or the Worcester Art Museum. And there's been a time or two when I would walk over to a piece of art and I think to myself, this is art, <laughs> right? You know, it just looks like someone took paintbrushes and threw paint on it and just threw it everywhere and got famous for it, made thousands, billions of dollars on this. If this is art, I qualify, you know. And let me change professions and because uh, I'm totally in the wrong profession. The problem was I couldn't comprehend or see what others could see that had a keen, artful eye for work. And for many people, seeing the scriptures and hearing the gospel is like looking at an abstract painting. They look at it and it, it doesn't compute. They don't get it. Or the gospel is puzzling to them. And if we troubleshoot, the problem's not in the gospel. 
It's in the sower. It's, it's, it's not in the sower, but it's in them. And, and because many of times they do not come with a heart to comprehend or with a yearning to know God. And if this is you, can I encourage you with this prayer? So, so this prayer that says, God, if you're real, I want to see. You know, God, if you're real, I want to see. Help me to see your beauty because right now it looks so abstract. If you are real, help me to comprehend and to hear and see your truth so that I can be healed. Or like the young man who was colorblind. I saw this video a number of years ago on, on YouTube about this. I think it was on YouTube. Uh, it may have been this young guy, uh, grew up, color, spent a lot of, number of years colorblind. And he never could see color or see nature or see life in its true color. And I saw he was presented, it was being filmed, he was given these shades, and these shades were designed to correct color so he could see color as they really were. These shades were given to him, and he began to put, he put on the shades, and all of a sudden, he, he couldn't say anything. All of a sudden, he just began to break down and just cried because he was finally able to see things as they really are. Some of you right now have been going through life a number of years, and you're, not, you're struggling because you haven't been able to see things as they really are. And you're thinking this religious thing, man, I tried that. I don't get it, <laughs> you, know? you know? Maybe I'm just a oddball. I don't understand this gospel. I don't think it's Bible thing. I don't, even, I don't even know if this thing is for me. And maybe what you really need is a real touch from a real God. A real touch from a real God that moves beyond your intellect and your rationalism, right? And, and touches your heart in such a way that your inward man is changed. You're able to really see. You know, in verse 20, Jesus talks about the seed that was sown on rocky ground. These are those that receive the word with joy, but has not rooted himself. It is short-lived. And when persecution comes because of the word, immediately he stumbles. I can appreciate this parable because it reminds me of my failed attempts to develop our own lawn and garden over the summer. I know the frustration of throwing down grass seed only for it to become bird feed, <laughs> you know. And, and part of our frustration of failing to grow in our spiritual lives is because the word has not really taken root. And it took me a while to finally figure that out that I needed to go and buy some topsoil and lay out the topsoil, make sure there was good soil there so the, the grass seed had something to take root upon. And a part of our frustration to grow in our spiritual life is our failure for the word to take root in our lives. And God's word hasn't really taken root in us. We need God's word to take hold of us, to have us, and, and not just our minds, but our hearts and our lives. And a question that immediately comes to mind is, how do we establish deep roots? How do we establish deep roots in Jesus? Because if you're like me, it's so easy to hear the word at church on Sunday, be excited about it, that on Monday, you're like, what word? You know, you, like, you for, totally forget what was shared the day before, or it's similar to what Mike Tyson said, right? We all know it. Everybody has a plan to get punched in the mouth. And how do we maintain the joy we receive on Sunday when we get punched in the mouth on Monday? 
How do we maintain what was shown in us, shown in us? And I remember when I was a kid going to an air show down, I believe in Shire Force Base, South Carolina, I was at a, an air show. And I remember from what I recall seeing this one plane hover in the air. It was like it just stood in the air. It was absolutely amazing. And, and I thought, man, you know, one of the ways we can become rooted in the word of God is by hovering over it by staying right there. When we experience Jesus and there is something in his word that's resonating with us, that's probably where God is speaking to you. Stay right there. Don't leave. Don't hurry up and go on to the next thing and, and all this. Stay right there. Ponder over it. Meditate on it. Allow his word to sink in. Pray over it. Journal about it. Turn it over and over again in your heart, marinating over the word like it's filet mignon thinking this is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Trees become rooted because they remain. Another way to become rooted is to remain connected and plugged into gospel Christ-centered community. In Sky Jathani's book, What If Jesus Was Serious? Isn't that a funny name? What if Jesus was, was serious like he wasn't serious? But in this particular book, he mentions Jay Walker Smith, the president of a marketing firm, told CBS News in the 1970s that the average American was exposed to approximately 500 ads each day. In 2006, he said it was as likely as high as 50,000 ads. Think about what it would be in 2020. I can't go on YouTube, right, without, hearing, without seeing multiple ads pop up. And the average Christian in America attends church, what is, what is said, two hours per month while being shaped by some 150,000 ads per month. Guess what's really shaping and molding the average disciple, right? The average Christian in America. This also indicates that most of our time is given to is given to and is being formed by our attendance to world culture and worldly cultural norms. Many of, many are rooted in culture, but not rooted in scripture, are not rooted in the kingdom. And it's impossible, right, to to really thrive in your walk with Jesus if you're not really plugged in to His church. It's impossible to truly love Jesus if you don't really love His bride called the church. The church is there to encourage you, to support you, to watch over you, to be a family to you, to grieve with you, to give to you, to love on you. And without this kind of support, your roots will not really run deep. But like a guy that's afraid to really settle down with a girl he's been dating for years, many of us in this culture are afraid of the big C, and that's commitment. We don't want to commit to anything. We don't want to commit to church. We don't want to commit to a people. We don't want to commit to, to God. We don't want to really, really want to be plugged in. But we must be willing to allow God's kingdom to invade our lives through the church, in which we can truly see each other as family and not, as, not just as acquaintances, right? Notice in Scripture, Paul refers to Christ's followers as sisters and, and brothers. They are family, and, and, the, and the word family implicitly suggests that you are rooted, which means you are, you are organically a part of the soil and not just in the soil. 
You're meshed together, intertwined, and interdependent upon one another. You're in this together. We are family. But notice in verse 23, in verse 22, Jesus talks about the seed that was sown among thorns. These are those that hear the word, but the worries of this age and the seduction of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. We live among a generation of people where, where, that, are, that are so distracted. Our attention spans are, are so shortened. I saw online this quote from digitalinformationworld.com that the average human attention span is now shorter than a goldfish's. Seriously. Uh, a recent study found that the average human attention span has fallen from 12 seconds in the year 2000, around the time when smartphones hit the scene and replaced the dumb phones to eight seconds today. We love our cell phones, our digital devices so much that when we're driving down the wheel, we believe, we actually believe that our, that our imaginary friend is gonna take the wheel while we check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram post. The distraction life has spilled into our work and into the lives of our family and the deeper crisis that is that we're so overwhelmed and overstimulated, there's so much vying for our attention, the coronavirus, the economy, it's election year, racial tension, global crisis. It's like our heads are, are spinning while we're being shaped by rationalism. A culture that's, that's shaped by rationalism in which we believe there's no objective truth. Uh, that's good for you, but don't tell me how to think, right? And our pop culture and celebrities have, have more power over us than religion. That we believe what, what these pop artists have to say more than what, we care more about what they say, that's our scripture, more than what Jesus says. And, and it's not just an American phenomenon, it's a global phenomenon. It's not just happening in America, it's happening throughout the world. And we're, we're shaped, we're, we're being shaped by this sexual freedom, so we think. So much so that we're, that our, I love what this one gentleman said the other day, that we're sexually broken. We reject the honor and the beauty of marriage and exchange it for having sex with anyone we want, with who we want, regardless of gender, with what we want, and we call this freedom, but it's broken us. We overdose on the drug of pornography, it's screwed up our minds, and it's messed with our, our brain, our line of thought, and the seduction of the world enslaves us, even those in the church. And of course we lose sight of him. Of course the word is being choked out of our lives. Because maybe our failure to grow in Christ and live the abundant life is because we are so caught up in the currents and in the seductions of this age. The seduction of wealth is so real. Sky Jathani goes on to, to write, in one way or another, most ads are about image. Either the image of the brand being advertised or the image of the consumer the ad is targeting. In many cases, these two image identities are intertwined. While there is nothing inherently evil about marketing, observing, absorbing thousands of image-focused ads each day can lead us to believe that our external image is all important and that what is beneath the surface and beyond the perception of a superficial culture is irre irrelevant. Simply put, ads makes us think that it's what's on the outside that really counts. And we're culturally bombarded with image that, that stir in our hearts this lust for more. 
I got to have more. This poisonous envy to have, to take, to want, to be better than what you see in this commercialized life, life that we live. And that's why Paul says with great urgency, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. Being a Christ follower means living a simple life. It's being countercultural. It's not going with the current, but rather being a current disruptor, a world changer, a transformer, a mover and shaker. I'm starting to get in my hip hop flow now. But I mean, being, being, I mean, just really flowing in line and walking in step with the spirit, not with the flesh. And Jesus goes on to say this in verse 23, the seed that was going, sown on good ground. This is the one who hears and understands the word, who does bear fruit and yield some hundred, some 60 and 30 times what was sown. You know, sowing is hard work. If you look at the hands and compare and contrast the hands of a corporate banker, for example, with the hands of a, from the hands of a farmer, it's like night and day. <laughs> The farmer would win every time for having the toughest, hardest, roughest hands. Real men, you know, or, or real women for that matter, right? You know, they, no offense to you bankers out there, you know, but uh, real men have farmer's hands, you know. Because toiling the soul is so difficult. It requires working long hours with the hope of a harvest. And they more, know more than anybody that whatever you sow, that will you also reap. So they have to sow hard or go home. And I believe farmers today, probably at one time or another, I've heard it said that they share, uh, it's said they share their struggle to reap a harvest in this overuse soil these days. I've heard it said the soil just doesn't produce the way it used to. The quality of the soil impacts the kind of harvest they can, they can expect. And so what the farmer will do is they'll plant cover crops to help enrich the soil. And these cover crops are plants grown to protect, protect and enrich the soil and make sure the soil is healthy and they put nutrients back into the soil. This helps stop erosion and control pests and diseases and increase organic matter. And the use of the cover crops has also been shown to, to increase crop yields. And so when the farmer, if the farmer were to look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 23, and they hear Jesus say that uh, the one who hears and understands the word, who does bear fruit, yields some hundred, some 60, some 30 times what was sown, so, uh, what was sown, that's an amazing, miraculous harvest. That's absolutely fantastic. You know, if a farmer got a harvest like that, honey, we're going to Aruba. <laughs> you know, it is a great year. And when we think about our hearts being the soil or being like the soil, and we're thinking, man, God, how am I going to produce some 30, some 60, some 100-fold? We're thinking, that's impossible. And maybe you're thinking, how can I do this? And the answer is, you can't. You can't do this. If you're looking at the Christian life and you're looking at the Bible and you're thinking, it's impossible for me to live like this. 
You know, how can I live for Jesus in the high school, in my high school, or in middle school, or, or in my community, or in my work, or in the neighborhood, or in my relationship, in my marriage? How can I really live for Jesus when everything around me is countercultural? How do I live a life that really matters? How am I going to bear this kind of fruit? It looks absolutely impossible. And we understand that this kind of harvest of 30, 60, 100 fold, that can only come from God. That has to come from Jesus. Jesus will enable you to bear more fruit and live a life that you, would, you could only dream about. And what makes farming, this type of farming, so difficult is because the very, there are so many issues that have to do with the soil. And the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it spring the issues of life. There are issues in the soils of our hearts and our lives, and God wants to deal with those issues. I love this line I heard the other day and love it. What God has put in you, he's committed to see grow in you as I come to a close. But God, God has placed a good side in all of you. Every one of you that are here today, God has goodness inside of you. God has placed your dreams and you and visions and, and talents and abilities. You're filled with so much creativity and, I mean, power and tenacity and grit and, and resilience. And, and, and God wants to do innovative things in your life, like we pray today, imaginative things among you. There's good stuff God has placed in you. But the enemy comes to kill, still and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. You are here for a reason. You have grace for this if you're a child of the king. The color of your hair, your eyes, the family you were born into, the geographic location where you live, these were all part of God's plan. Your talents, your interests, your hobbies, God created you to be uniquely you because God has a plan for you that fits his story. And in Matthew chapter 13, it's not just about reaping from God, but it's also about, about sowing in the others. And the beauty of the video we just saw was that I heard testimony of you all sowing into the life of others. And the gospel life is kind of a circle, circ works in a circular way that as we're sown into, we sow into others. As God loves us, we love others. As God blesses us, we bless others. As God farms our soul, we seek to be a tool that God uses to farm others. One plants, the other waters, but God gives the increase. And it's this God, this great God, that causes the harvest, some 30, some 60, some hundredfold. Let's pray. Uh, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon us like that old hymn. I pray, Father God, that we would all live, God, fruitful lives. That someone, God, Someone in here was stirred up inside for that dream, for that vision, God. That someone in here, Lord, would, would be able to shake off every weight and every sin that so easily entangles them so that they could run faster for your glory. 
Lord, I pray, Father God, that we would be, that I would be, God, a true disciple. And that as we grow in you, as we flourish in you, we would love and, and enable our community and our city to flourish. I pray, Father God, if anyone's here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they would walk away today, God, wanting to know more, asking about how to know more, that they would come into a saving knowledge of you. So I pray these things in confidence because we do pray in your holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.